This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. This is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, three guests this week, two segments. First up, Men in Blazers founder Roger Bennett and the United States women national team midfielder Sam Mewis. They have uh, combined forces, along with Becky Sauerborn, to broadcast on the Men in Blazers Twitch feed during the Women's World Cup. And uh, it's been an incredibly fun second screen experience to watch. So Roger and Sam come on to talk about that. We talk about soccer media, uh, get into uh, a little bit of uh, what it's been like for Sam, you know, one of the great midfielders in the country who's been hurt the last couple of years. And, uh, and sort of what's that like to try to find some other avenues to discuss the game that you love. So Roger and Sam to start, and then Rustin Dodd, who is my colleague at The Athletic, he has a new book out with Mark Dent, Kingdom quarterback Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, and how a once swing in Cowtown chased the ultimate comeback. It's a book that um, sort of runs on uh, parallel tracks. It tells you about Kansas City and why it's sort of the quintessential American town. And then obviously the importance of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to that town. And uh, and Patrick Mahomes' genius, obviously, in terms of being a professional football player. So I think you'll enjoy that as well. So Roger Bennett and Sam Mewis to start. Rustin Dodd to finish coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, um, you know, Roger Bennett has essentially been the Pied Piper for domestic and global soccer in the United States. Uh, if you're a soccer fan, you know he's part of the Men in Blazers now digital dynasty. Today, for the purposes of this podcast, he's joined by Sam Mewis. If you are a soccer fan in the United States and a women's soccer fan globally, you know who that is, one of the best midfielders in the world, uh, right now currently rehabbing her knee surgery, part of the 2019 World Cup winning team. I think she is still um, on the Kansas City current roster. We'll ask her about that. Um, She has been podcasting during her rehab, including her podcast with just women's sports. But here is why both of these two are here. My God, that's the longest intro, Rod. Just longer than Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. They have been doing live watch-alongs on the Men in Blazers Twitch page. And let me tell you, they have been racking up crazy numbers. It's actually been pretty fascinating to watch. So they're bleary-eyed and teary-eyed. And then the, the next one that you may want to join them on will be England v. Australia, 6 a.m. on Wednesday. And with that... Welcome, Roger Bennett and Sam Mewis to the Sports Media Podcast. Hi, thanks for having us. Oh, Richard, it's a joy to be with you. My God, I'm exhausted after that intro, Roger. All right, here we go. I'm going to start. Um, 
I'm going to start with you, Sam, and then, Rod, you could follow up. So, you know, in doing a little bit of, you know, we do do preparation for this podcast. You know, we don't wing it. Like, you, I know you guys can respect that. And so I, I looked at the number of views that the the Twitch stream has gotten. And, like, it's significant. Like, we're not talking, like, a half-ass production here. Like, on one of them, you guys crossed the half-million mark. Like, that's a significant, significant number when it comes to media. You've had major guests like M- Michaela Schifrin, right? Ali Krieger, Douglas Emhoff. The, uh, Eva Longoria. Eva Longoria. I mean, these Douglas Emhoff, by the way, is the uh, husband of Kamala Harris. Like these, you've had legitimate guests. So, Sam, I know you've done podcasting for. I don't know if you've done it at this level when you know how many people are watching. So, what has this experience been like for you, knowing that, like, in many ways, like you're bringing in more viewers than like ESPN daily sports shows bring in. Well, I actually don't see the numbers on my screen. Like, thank God, because I feel like I'd get so nervous. Sometimes Raj has mentioned to me, oh, hey, Sam, like, you know, we had 500,000 people watch that. I'm always like, really? So, I mean, I'm like so fortunate and like grateful that Men and Blazers and Roger wanted me to do this with them. I think it was such a big opportunity for me. Um, I've loved doing snacks so much. I'm actually excited to get started with that again as well. But like just this foray into the media has just been so exciting. And I feel like I'm in such good hands. I'm learning from Roger. Um, It's been so much fun. And at a time when obviously I would love to have been participating in the world cup, I feel like this is a way that I can still be involved and support my teammates. So I just feel like really, really grateful um, that Roger even wanted me to work with him. It was been really cool. (laughs) Raj, um, you know, obviously Part of this obviously helps the Men in Blazers brand. That said, I don't know if you could have expected these kind of numbers. You know, there's a million people who are doing Twitch. I, you know, I, I, I have little kids. Like, you know, I, I, that that whole ecosystem. People will go on there and watch people play video games and stuff. But like, this has been. I, I would say, even at this point, even though you have a couple more to go, this has been phenomenally successful. And so from your perspective, why has this worked? So many reasons. I mean, first of all, Sam Mewis is an incredible human being who's able to, you know, one minute talk about the pros and cons of pizza uh, in the greater Boston region with just heartfelt, just deeply beautiful um, opinions. And then the next can just deliver a incisive analysis um, of what it feels like to be uh, scored on by an underdog and go behind and just be making panic decisions on the field and and how you overcome that what goes through these footballers minds in key moments so you know, to be with her to be with Becky Sauerbrunn for a lot of this the captain of the US women's national team um, also a cruel injury right before the World Cup it's been humbling to be able to cover this World Cup um, with both of them, I think in a, I hope in a deeply human, nourishing way. Like ultimately, football for us is 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 just trying to put joy out into the world, create a sense of cross generational connectivity, empathy, meaning, and emotional nourishment. Um, and we have been getting insane numbers: five hundred eighty thousand people joined us to watch Spain against the Netherlands. It's like four o'clock in the morning too. Um, Richard, it's slightly insane. And I think ultimately it's a tribute to 
well, the growth of the women's game in particular in the United States of America, which is just utterly exploding the narrative around it, just the elite level of the game, the surging interest um, in it, the commercial interest in it. Um, it's been a massive summer for us at MOB Network, the messy arrival, the Women's World Cup, you know, the Premier League team storming across the United States, uh, working with US soccer to tell the stories of the US women to the nation. We, we developed a partnership with Wrexham, um, which we've been really honoured to forge. And I think ultimately, you know, we always joke on our show that soccer, America's sport of the future, as it has been since 1972, with everything that's happening and a World Cup coming here to these shores in 2026, please got a Women's World Cup here in 2027. That future is very much now. And to be talking with Sam, to be talking with Becky, to be talking with our guests, with our audience the whole time, which is what Twitch allows so joyously, is really just a refraction of that. Yeah, it's well said. I got sucked into the Wrexham story, man. So they dropped a 5-3 to MK Dons uh, and then a draw to Wimbledon, so... I'm, I'm it's an ultra marathon, much. baby. It's yeah. an ultra marathon, and Wrexham watching them, we're all going to get run a rubber's ni- a runner's nipple. <laughs> I'm going to stick with you, Raj, uh, because this uh, question is sort of media centric. One of the things that um, you know I, I've certainly written about and seen uh, is all sorts of major media companies trying to get a second screen experience. I mean, essentially, the Manning, you know, the Manning cast is an alternative broadcast. You're you're trying to figure out ways where either. You can get additional people to watch another broadcast or you can get them to watch on a computer while they're watching a main broadcast. Clearly for you guys, like someone's watching the game in addition to watching you. That Most likely that's the sort of scenario. Um, why do you think people want the second screen experience uh, as opposed to when me and you were kids, essentially like it was a singular screen experience and we didn't necessarily desire for something else. But that is... That's who you have to appeal to now, in my opinion, if you want to try to grab 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, etc. You know, we've found this partnership with Twitch has really been um, mind-stretching for us creatively. Um, you know, in the United States, uh, my whole mission while well, I've been here, and I arrived here from England, and football, this was like space to Captain Kirk, the final frontier. Football really didn't exist here. This was in around the 1994 World Cup. Uh, we've seen the audience here grow and grow and grow and grow. Um, and the second stream experience takes place at a time when you know, um, we are living in a world where uh, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Twitter is really wired into people's brain. It's essentially you don't just watch anymore. It's not a one-way thing as when we grew up, Richard. It's essentially sports is a means to an end, uh, a, a means for communication, a means for, uh, for for deep and profound human connection. Um, and for me, the, the, the thing about this Twitch experience, particularly this World Cup, working with Sam Mewis, um, who is incredibly nourishing, uh, to to insightful and deeply nourishing, and can reinforce key moments in the game. Can reinforce dead moments in the game. Like we can make them come to life. And you know, the the the, the twenty five minutes we did with Brendan Hunt uh, of Ted Lasso fame are probably twenty five of my most joyous minutes of the year. It was it was early in the morning. This Women's World Cup, you don't know when to start drinking coffee, when to start drinking beer, where the blur line is between both of them. It was slightly wonderful, slightly insane. It was football rich. It was emotionally helter-skelter. And the other thing about the second screen experience that I do want to point out, it's not just Sam and me. It's not just Sam and me and the guests. 
um, the the chat yeah. function. Exactly. It allows human beings. And for it, when I grew up in England, to go and watch the football, you'd go every week to your team, season ticket, same seats, same people surrounding you. Didn't know their names. Nod to them when you arrive. The man who'd jam his whole fist in his mouth and bite on it if your team went one nil ahead. The woman who'd start screaming obscenities the second the team went one nil. They were shocking and keep apologising, but doing more and more. Um, in America, to watch football by and large is a, often a solitary pursuit. You, you know, wake up at seven thirty. Worse on the West Coast, in your pajamas, crack open a beer. Um, and watch in your own room. And I think what we're doing, what Sam and I have been able to do, um, is to bring a huge audience together, give them real information, real depth, and I hope real joy, but also to ref uh, you know reflect their conversation. We're always pulling out the chat. And more than anything, people feel entertained. They feel informed by Sam, by Becky, you know, advantaged, wiser, smarter, watching smarter, but they feel heard. They really feel heard. And ultimately, we're both at the epicenter of just a great, roiling, joyous, hopefully deeply emotionally reinforcing conversation. That's how I, I want people to click off. I know I do. I got poor Sam, by the way, three o'clock in the bloody morning. She gets up, <laughs> clicks on, has to look at me. Um, and then we have to talk for, you know, we do three hours and then we'll go and tape a, a, a live amp where we are engaging with more conversations as a post show um and i will tell you this it's hard sometimes getting up no secret hard getting up sometimes at 1 30 in the morning uh, and starting to do prep notes but i will tell you this when i click off i always feel better about life having done it than i did before which is i think i hope the point of all of this Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sam, a couple of questions for you. Um, you're not, um, you know, you're not a novice when it comes to being in front of a microphone at this point. You know, yeah, you've you've done podcasting. Um, you've probably been interviewed, you know, a million times. I know it's not the same thing, but you know, you, you're you're well aware when a camera's in front of you. That said, like you've had to put long hours in for this. This is not like a quick five ten minute hit. This is like a three hour hit, which is insane as a general rule and from what i've seen or at least in just again I, I can't say i've watched all the twitches but i you know i again i watched a number of them before i knew i was going to talk to you the one thing that comes off from you i'm sure roger would agree is like authenticity you don't seem to me that you're um how do i sort of say this you don't seem to be not that you're like blasting everybody but you don't seem to be worried about whatever you're how whatever you're saying is going to come off you 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 genuinely i feel like it's genuinely you talking on this uh experience good bad or indifferent i'm not getting a performer i'm getting you so a couple questions off that one when you decided to do this was that going through your mind you're still an active player you may be part of this program again so if you say something like it could make news like that's just the reality of the news business so how did you approach this knowing that you're going to be talking maybe for three hours, and that's not an easy challenge to do. Yeah, I think 
I, I mean, it definitely was something that I thought about. I, I think going into this one, I trusted Roger so much that he would never put me in a situation to make me say something that I shouldn't say, or that I didn't mean or didn't want to say. I love the U S women's national team so much. And I think that, I hope that that comes through as authentic because I just want them to succeed. Um, certainly was it difficult that like, I of course would have loved to be playing in this world cup. Um, that would have been so incredible, but like getting to be involved and to cheer them on and to share that experience with some fans was so, I feel so lucky that I get to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm so glad to hear that it comes off as authentic because I do try really hard to just say what I think. And, um, Roger luckily has just set me up, I think, to be able to do it okay. I mean, he carries so much of the script and conversation and like he's so prepared with all this information. And sometimes I just have to really just say my opinion. I don't do nearly as much work as he does, but um I I enjoy doing it. And so I think when you have fun with what you're doing, I hope it comes off as like enjoyable to watch. The second thing would be that someone in your position because your sister plays for this team you may want to like not have to be on a camera while you're watching this you know there'd be some people <laughs> who would just want to either be with their family or i probably know some athletes who honestly just might want to watch it themselves and literally have nobody around them so they can process this um as they process it um but for you obviously there was a decision at some point right that you were like I'm going to share my experience on processing this team with the world. And obviously something that kind of went viral for you was during those um, PKs in the Sweden game. Like, you know, like you're watching your sister, she happened to make it, but the two of you also, when that game concluded and the U S watched in that heartbreaking manner, like, you know, that was gutting and crushing. And we got a sense of honesty from both of you and particularly you given your connection to to this team um so i asked that that again like is it from the beginning you wanted to do this or did you really have to contemplate like hey do i like really want to share my soul bear my soul basically in front of you know as it turns out you know six hundred thousand people yeah that's such like an insightful question i'm i'm really like intrigued that you asked that no i don't think very many people outside my personal life have asked yeah um well you're dealing with I the professional here sam so no problem <laughs> Well, thank you for thinking of that. I think timing was important. I have known for a while that I wouldn't be playing in this World Cup. Um, I had a, a surgery in January. So I had some time and some months to process my own situation privately and on my own. I was able to come back to Boston, work with a team of people that I really trust. Um, I've certainly emotionally had some terrible moments throughout this before the World Cup has started. But I think that... I came to kind of terms with what was happening and I had several conversations with Roger and his team and just the way that when I listen to Roger outside of this, he's so positive. He brings so much joy to the game. It's something that I feel like American soccer fans need is to kind of learn how to have that undying obsession with your team right. that win or lose that you're a fan of that team and you love them and you support them no matter what, all the ups and downs. And so it was something I wanted to be a part of. Um, certainly didn't account for like how stressful some of those moments, especially with my sister would be. But again, I feel like my relationship with Roger has allowed me to be really authentic and be myself. 
I again don't see the Twitch numbers live, so I don't know who's watching. Um, <laughs> but I feel like very safe on on there. I feel like I can be myself. I can be honest, and that's I think just such a testament to um, how incredible Men and Blazers has made this whole process feel. I think One, I think it's pretty ahead, nourishing. It's a pretty nourishing community. I will say, like we're we we are pretty we are trying to put out into the world a sense of empathy, sense of love. Look, I mean, God, life is short, Richard. Um, sports is there's a there's a phrase that Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, he says soccer is the most important, least important thing. That's what yeah. we're watching, right. and we've all I've always tried to put out like let's savor this, let's never take this for granted, let's make memories together. That's really been the approach. Having said that, I mean, I spoke to uh, I feel for Sam. Not only is she not able to play, she was the most dominant player at the last World Cup, in my opinion. Uh, but she had to then suffer through this World Cup talking to me, which is an agony I wouldn't wish on my own enemy. Um, and Becky Sauerbrunn, who was the captain, and you know this injury that came super late, her realisation. Um, I've been podcasting with Becky all the way up to the uh, World Cup. We had a partnership called the, the Road to the World Cup. Um, same thing we did with Tyler Adams, the men's captain in the run-up to the men's World Cup. Um, and Becky really, it was really hard. She f just late on realized she was not going to be playing at this World Cup. And uh, I was not sure what she would be able to do. You know, I've spoken to a lot of footballers who, when they're not playing, find it an utter agony to watch the team perform without them. Um, and she she talked about it on the last Twitch with us. I, a fan asked her what it's been like. And she said, quite honestly, she said she was dreading it with this World Cup, but she's found it quite cathartic. Um, being able to tap into mostly Sam's, she was talking about the goodness of these things. So it must have been Sam, not me. Um, she said she found it very cathartic and incredibly. I mean, it was it was beautiful to hear her say that. Um, but it is it ultimately. I do believe all of this, all of this coverage, everything that we do. The world is dark. Uh, it's confusing. Uh, America is full of uh, challenge, and I, I, I do want whatever the show is on on our network, whether it's us or whether it's Fabrizio Romano, the the Woj Adam Schechter of of world football. Uh, he's like an Italian bastard offspring. If Woj and Schechter <laughs> had a, uh, a a transfer breaking Italian uh, bambino who had forty million followers, whether it's Fabrizio or Becky or or Tim Ream has a show on our network, I want them all to click off our crap and feel better about life after engaging with it than they did before. And they may, it, it's pretty thrilling that that goes the same for Sam and for Becky also. I got one for Sam. I will say, uh, Raj, uh, just my two cents. I think one of the reasons that you and um, Michael Davies have been so successful since you guys started Men in Blazers is 2014 is that um, it's always infused with a passion and love for the sport and the criticism is now, if you even do offer it of either like a team or players, whatever, it's, um, it's not infused with anger. It's infused with like love where the reality is both of you are smart enough to know this, that there's a lot of sports television where like, um, anger, uh, you can monetize anger, whether fake or real. And you guys have never done that. And I actually think that works for soccer, which is far more of a, um, how do I say this? Uh, the relationship fans have with their team is far deeper. Often for some people, they call it deeper than religion than maybe like how they might feel about their NFL team. 
Um, that's at least my sort of theory why it's worked for you. I, I, I pro- if I had more time, I'd probably espouse it a little bit cleaner. I think, I, I think but that's what I'm trying look, to get. At. I, succinctly, um, I would say that, look, I grew up in England. Uh, I'm American now. Genuinely, the joy of my life becoming an American. But football was territorial. It was parochial. We're a tiny island with 92 clubs jammed in there. I come from Liverpool. Um, you know, you travel with your team. And when you went up... St- to up to the to London and beat them. We had nothing. Unemployment was high. There were no jobs. It was a real misery. And you'd be like, sod them. We're better than you are. This is how we announce ourselves to the world. Right. And football in England with a hooliganism legacy. Um, but it is, it's about anger and uh, you know, putting people down. And the joy of America to me and this sense of discovery that swept the nation while I've been here for football, men's and women's, women's game, bloody surging, NWSL <laughs> surging in the most wonderful way. Uh, you know, messy over here on these shores is that there's a sense of discovery. There's a sense of joyousness and there's a sense of shared love. And I do think there's something unique about this force, this which I apply my trade in football, where it is, you know, obviously there's different teams, obviously there's support, obviously there's frustration and disappointment, but we're just watching human beings. Martin Tyler told me this once. He said, football is ultimately a game of human beings making decisions. When you get the ball, you can pass with it, you can run with it, you can shoot it. He said the truly great players just make better decisions more of the time than the merely good ones. So when we do see someone fail you know you can either laugh at that person you can either crap on them or you can just feel deep empathy who hasn't who hasn't in that moment with the goal at their mercy and the chance to be the hero obviously none of us have but like in our own lives we've had these moments they've blown it you know stage fright or just 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 miscalibration whatever and i do ultimately i think there's a, a beautiful human narrative where you're transcending sport at its best, even when you're just watching it and bringing those lessons of life into your own life. And that's what we're trying to offer here. Yeah. And PK is for sure. Like human, human triumph and misery all at once. Uh, Sam, um, I know you're doing Twitch, but I would guess that at least either after it or before it, you have watched some of the coverage on Fox Uh, for many years. um, They have paid me a lot of money to watch a lot of television, which Honestly, no human being should have to do, and I should be thrown out of a building immediately because I have watched too much television in my lifetime. That said, I want to ask this of you, and now Raj, because this is interesting to me. For the most part, for most of your life, you've been playing, so you're not privy to like what the broadcasters are saying during a game or what the studio shows are talking about prior to the game or after a game. And I just wanted to get just from your evaluation from whatever you've watched how you've viewed it you know and you're smart enough to know like carly lloyd's comments got a lot of attention um which is interesting because that's not always the case with the women's game like it the the attention good or bad like a lot of times doesn't necessarily those those moments don't go viral they may on the men's tournament but they don't always on the women's tournament and i would even argue whether you agreed with her or not that's progress in some ways in that like that becomes a a conversation point. Um, and so again, I don't know how much you've seen it from, but from a player's perspective, I'd be curious, um, how, how you view it because many times I get to write about this stuff from my perspective. And I feel I'm even more educated now because I have seen coverage in another country now for five years and TSN does it immeasurably different than Fox does. Maybe we'll talk about that on another podcast one day, but I'm curious for your sense, like how, how you've seen it as someone who's played at the highest levels of the game. 
Yeah. Well, I think um, one of my like player tendencies is to like usually watch games on mute. Um, I find like it's a habit from when I would watch my own games back. Um, I wouldn't want to hear what the commentator was saying because whether it was about me or about somebody else, I found bad things to be super not helpful and even good things to be like, well, I don't know if that, if my coach thought that was good, so I shouldn't really put too much stock in it. Obviously I'm aware of like some of the controversies going on and it's, it's difficult. I, I would love to always support any of my teammates, former, current, past, whatever. Um, I think it's like a difficult job. Um, and the most important thing for me in playing a little bit of a similar role has been to, to support my teammates. Um, because it's, it's everybody's job is difficult, especially the players. So, um, it's been interesting. And I think, um, that my habit of maybe like muting the commentary sometimes, and maybe not watching the halftime show has actually held strong. Um, I also, I mean, you, you see the, some of the same things just on Twitter, you're looking for news, whatever. Um, I've appreciated a lot of what I've seen. And there are some things like there's a reason that players don't go on social media during world tournaments. It's there's stuff that doesn't help. Um, so it makes me appreciate the positivity that men and blazers network gives off so much more because I, I think that that's natural to me is wanting to turn negatives into positives and spread the love of the game instead of anything else. But to your point, of course, criticism is necessary. And I think that that's part of the growth of the game as well. I would say, you know, if I was a high level player like you or, or giving advice, I would never look at my Twitter feed like during a season. No, you can't I, just to, to get in your head, <laughs> to get that stuff in your head is so toxic and de yeah. debilitating. And it just becomes measures and measures higher depending on like how well known you are, right? Or how mm -hmm. maybe at a certain point, if you're Leo Messi, like there's so many comments in your Instagram feed that maybe it's just like almost like data and noise. So you really <laughs> can't process it. But for most mortals, like I, I, I think your strategy is very, very smart. Um, now, if you eventually want to go into the business, I would then unmute because you can sort of probably sort of learn pick a up lot. things. And learn things. Uh, yeah. I'll give you my quick thing, Sam. One really quick thing. Not that you asked, but I'll tell you. The one thing that all other countries do so much better, Raj, I know you work for NBC. You don't have to say anything here. I'll, I'll save you here. Is that, and NBC is really good at this, by the way, when it comes to Premier League. I would give anything if during, when two teams are playing that are not the United States, if you can just educate me more on tactics, on the roster, on how things came to be. Like, if I'm investing in like Colombia versus Spain, like I want to learn about these two teams because I don't get to see them all the time. So tell yeah. me about them. Tell me about their tactics. And with all this, no, no disrespect to Fox, or maybe I am giving them disrespect. I don't need the 15th uh, take on the U.S. national team. Like I would really, that's my biggest problem with U.S. coverage many times in the World Cup is other countries will treat these non-host uh, teams like and really give you in-depth analysis on that so you come to the game and you're like okay like i actually know something about colombia i know about their coach i know how they play and i know what they're trying to do and with respect to fox i don't often feel that way Richard, Rob, i mean the, rea the reality ahead, is, the, the reality is that the global football is like a star wars cantina and um <laughs> you know it's just joyous it's, it's full of incredible characters it's a it's a it's like a the greatest telenovela that's played out live 
uh, that were watching. And another of the joys, one of the reasons I, I wanted to create uh, what's turned into MIB Network is 2006 World Cup. I was watching, um, it was NESPN. Um, it was the, the World Cup before they really upped the game, and they did 2010. My God, they got incredible. it really South right. Africa's the greatest yeah. World incredible. Cup broadcasting incredible. performance I've ever 2006, seen. the thing that... The Sam was probably that, like four years old then, basically, I think, right? <laughs> uh, you know, um, but I'm sure she was watching and thinking, I can do this, because <laughs> there was, was a moment, 2006, I was watching at home, England, and the ESPN commentator said... Um, the greatest, the most famous footballer in the world, Charlie Beckham, takes the field. And I just screamed at the screen. I was like, oh, my God. I said to my wife, I was like, if they only talked about it in an informed way, think how much bigger this sport would be in the United States. And one of the joys of our coverage has been, uh, you know, we've had you know, Janine Becky coming on to talk about the Canadian debacle. Um, we've had we've had a guy Jonas Eidvalt, who is the women's coach at Arsenal, a Swede uh, who is coached in America, so has a real sense of our game. One of the most tactically astute human beings, come on a ton. I've really loved it, and he's actually shaped the way I, I've started to frame my thinking in ways I'd never thought before. He's really deep. He's really thoughtful. He's really analytical, and ultimately, that's what we believe our audience want when they're watching a football tournament they want the joy the empathy they want to connect to becky and sam in a in a really insightful way but they also want that next level deepening of their own understanding their own frameworks so that are constant they don't want to walk into a phd class and be like what's going on here but just constantly to be picking up um the, the infrastructure the tools to deepen their 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 thinking Listening to the Jonas Eidvald, he's coming on Twitch. He's coming with heaps a ton of, of digital and podcasts with him. Um, you know, that's, I think, what the American audience do want. Um, you know, hot takes are spikes in the second. If we can give them content that they remember that nourishes them um, deeply and also that they're thinking back to the analytical tools, thinking about something Becky said on the Twitch, thinking about something Sam said about in a key moment, this is what goes through a player's mind constantly. You know, there was a bit the other day when I asked Becky, I know I asked Sam, I was like, Sam, what do you know in those pregame things where all the players on the, uh, on the, when they do the team sheet, cross their arms? I was like, Sam, what's it really like to tape those? Isn't it like self inhibitor? She's like, oh my, what did you say? Well, they're just so awkward. Like it, it's so <laughs> awkward. But the worst is when they make you go like this into the camera. You do your goal so, face. And you get so like self conscious, and then it's worse, and then it's just such it's such a nightmare. It's so you're, you're you're you're. I mean, it is so like not organic, Sam. Like you're nor it's normal to be. To feel like this. All right. But once you have that, you never forget it. And now every time you look at the team sheet from now on, Richard Deitch, I want you to remember that Sam Mewis trademark piece of wisdom. I love that. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, Sam. I don't know if you know this or not, but who is who are the guests that will be coming up for do you have you booked the final yet do you know and who who's coming on for uh for england australia 
which I, I have to say, I don't is, know. Uh, there, I don't Rogers know. Roger's going to have to tell you. Um, you know, I do know. I do know. I do who's know. We've got up, Jose right? for the final. Um, we've got Jose Andres, the just oh. a credible hero of mine, just uh, the chef uh, turned global um, global savior. Honestly, and, and whenever there's the gentleman, whenever there's a crisis currently working with Hawaii, but all over the world, he makes sure people get fed. Huge football fan, huge Spain football fan. So I keep my fingers crossed. But he is like deeply, deeply emotionally nourishing. Uh, Tim Ream, uh, the the uh, 87 year old inspirational um, Fulham captain and US star. I mean, never before 80 years of age to have a gentleman playing just the looks very of his good life. for an 80 year old. He's had a lot of work done, but he's <laughs> he's amazing. Um, for the England Australia game, just the greatest greatest rivalry. Honestly, minutes are blurring into hours, are blurring into days. Uh, I'm desperately, desperately trying to remember who I know. Becky Sauerbrunn will be with us. I know we've got the great Janine Becky, uh, the great Canadian uh, footballer. I know we have. Uh, there's, uh, I think we've got uh, Jessica Albert, uh, but I can't remember if it's for that game or which game it's for. The booking uh, Mark has been Parsons, I think, too tonight. Yes, a joy. But the booking's been incredible, uh, is... which is really just hilarious. How many people want to come and hang out with us, Sam? All right, Sam. All right. So let me, the, by the way, those, that's, that's, uh, that's some good quality. I can't wait for England, Australia. I, I, I it's going to be an unbelievable game. I must say, I know you're not supposed to root, but I kind of, I think at this point, want to see Australia win. I want the home country to win. It just would be, it's, I saw the other day that, um, uh, I, I don't know if it's channel seven, wherever it's airing in Australia, they average like a little under 5 million. They peaked at like seven or 8 million like the country's only 26 million. Like we're talking at this point, like a fifth of the country watching. And that only goes up as they go further. If you get to the final, I think half the country may watch, which in sports is like inconceivable, basically. Like just think about in the United States, if if nearly 200 million people watch the Super Bowl, they don't. It's it's a little bit over 100. All right, Sam, I will let you program this. This is my fun, my fun one for you. If, if, if you can get any guest at all, doesn't have to be soccer related on the Twitch, who would it be? I'm giving you like carte blanche to do. Who are the three people you love to talk to? Or I love to watch the game with. I'm sorry, not talk to, but watch the game with. Um. Well, like celebrity, what? Like Post anybody? Malone, Taylor Swift, celebrity wise, that would be sick. Taylor. Yeah, if you it would Taylor Swift be one of the three? If I'm like, I'll grant you this. Yeah. Okay, so that would be one. sick. Um, You're Massachusetts, I, so what? One of the Wahlbergs, I would assume, right? Or Ben Affleck. Uh, sure. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if they have any interest in soccer. I have no idea, no. but like, all right. Sure, so no, not? no, we'll do a series. Taylor Swift is one. So you have two left, um, two left in the booth. Oh, wow. That's hard. Uh, well, th like, I feel like I would love to get, um, I did a, a men's world cup show with Will Arnett and Marshawn Lynch and it was like hilarious. And I love that. we like, I really enjoyed it. And I think they would be really funny to have on. Um, greatest showman. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hugh Jackman. Thank My you. hero from The Greatest Showman. Thank you, okay. Rod. You All saved right. me. How That's can good. you not say Jackman? She, I mean, God, this show is just genuinely... I've rarely met a sportsman whose elite achievements on the field were more influenced by Jackman. <laughs> All right. Two, two, <laughs> wow. Two, two more. All right, Sam. Obviously, I would imagine that the, the goal is to, is to play again and to, to be back on the field. Um, at a certain point, though, and we, you know, I, I sincerely wish you the best on that. I feel good vibes. I feel like you're going to do it.
But at a certain point, like whenever your career is over, you now have some significant media experience. You know, um, you've podcasted one of the biggest sort of soccer networks. If you want to call the MIB group that um, in the world. You obviously have your experience with um, just women's sports. Is this something that you think you would want to do as a post playing career, or for now, is it just like something that you're just enjoying? Um, doing as a, I don't want to call it a hobby, but just as something that is emotionally, like, you know, it, it uh, helps like your creative uh, inspiration and outlook. Yeah, I think right now, um, one of the reasons why doing this has been so great is because my first priority can be my rehab. Um, I, this is like a remote job for the most part. And the same with my snacks podcast on just women's sports. I can do that from home. Um, I can go to PT and go to the gym every day. I can focus on my recovery um, while my job is still being a professional soccer player. So, um, but I do love it so much. I mean, I really, really enjoy it. I never thought I'd find something that brought me such joy. I thought soccer was like the, that was the fun job I got to have. And then it would just be all hell from there. And this has brought me so much joy. I genuinely love doing it. I love connecting with people. Um, I love interviewing people. I love having these kinds of conversations. So I would be so lucky if I got to do this and continue to do it for years to come. Awesome. Just keep getting reps. You're good at it. And Thank you. Re- more more reps, the better. All right, Roger, listen, you and you and Mike have already, to me, like exceeded any any possible expectations of somebody who started what you guys did in 2014. I mean, you're part of the... You're, you're part of the landscape, the zeitgeist of soccer in the United States. So to, to me, you're already wildly successful if you decided to retire today. You're obviously not going to do that. But is there anything like sort of like in terms of a next evolution that that you guys are thinking about? Because you've done experiential. You've done live shows. You're on like traditional linear television. You're now hitting Twitch. You have a massive social media platform. I, I'm not even sure like what you'd want to be next because like I feel like you've You've already achieved a lot in in these different avenues, but is there? I don't know. You want to do a play on Broadway, Men in Blaze? Like, what would be next for you guys? I mean, we do tour. We do. Uh, we've got a healthy touring business. We have a Broadway theater producer, and we tour across America. Look, yeah, no, I, know, I, know I, I think yeah. that ultimately the next phase for 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 me is to turn this platform that we've created, which is the like the most effervescent. Um, a community of football fans in the United States, one that um, it would develop relationships with and the trust of the entertainment realm, the sporting realm in the United States, and also the teams in 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 England, the Arsenal's, Chelsea's, uh, United, who want to conquer the American uh, footballing audience. And um, I mean that's been that's been quite a job of work. Um, but to give this net this platform to people like Sam, like Becky. Um, and more who want to tell their stories and to engage their audiences and talk about their experiences and insights and, and life truths. Um, that's really the next phase. I mean, it's coming very soon. I mean, I'd, I'd like to be twitching with, with, with Sam Mewis in, in like you know, 20, in 20 years time, I'd like to keep doing this. Um, but like, this is much bigger than me. We're living in this moment. Um, you know, Lionel Messi, the greatest player ever to kick a football, now playing on our shores, creating just, uh, it feels like Art Basel every single time he, he, he touches a football down there in Miami. Uh, next summer, the the um, Copa America, the best teams in, in all over the Americas, Argentina, Brazil, the United States, all going to play 
across our continent. Then the FIFA Club World Cup, the Real Madrid's, the Barcelona's, um, every major team around the world will play across the United States. And then the World Cup. Please God, the Women's World Cup in 2027 on our shores. These are incredible days. As someone that dreamt, you know, I, I always say I had to call my parents when I moved here when my club team, Everton, were in a big game, semi-final of a big tournament, and it wasn't on American television at all in 1995. Now, this is the greatest place to cover the game of football from, um, both both in terms of the streamers, uh, both in terms of just the, how much these big teams, you know, your Barcelonas, your your Manchester Cities, your Wrexhams, what win the hearts and minds. The United States, the, the Women's League, the NWSL is surging. So the next phase is is really to empower human beings who can bring joy to this community and um, and just let them do it. And so to have you know, done this with Sam and Becky um, during the World Cup, I hope it's just the beginning. All right, catch Sam Mewis, Becky Sauer, and Roger Bennett on the Men in Blazers um, live Twitch feed, which will be happening whenever the... World Cup happens. I hope for Sam Mewis's case, there's not PKs because man, the agony and anguish on her face in watching some of those. I mean, that is that's Hitchcock City, basically. Uh, um, you never ask me who's my guest. By the way, Twitch.tv/slash Men in Blazers is how you can come be with us to watch Australia. It's Twitch.tv/slash Men in Blazers, and you can watch Australia. Yeah, I'm American now. Richard, so uh, very neutral, very objective in this game. I have no horse in the race. The guest I'd most like on the show is Tr- yeah. Tracy Chapman. Just point out, I say that every opportunity because I want it to happen so bloody badly. It's a one guest we've never well, been. By able the to way, get. if you're truly American, I mean, I mean, you have to go for the Aussies then. I mean, you know the history of the country, right? Come on now. Um, I, but mate, when that was all going down, pay, my pay family back, were wandering around Eastern Europe. My family were wandering around Eastern Europe back then, so they didn't know about any of this crap. But go, I will say, humanly, the Australian story. And Sam said this on the last one. You were talking about watching just the flights with you know thousands of people discovering football yeah. and women's football in Australia. You should say that. That's a. I mean, that's the perfect. Not to be the Richard Deech host of your podcast, <laughs> but it is the most beautiful thing we've watched. Yeah. I've- At a certain point, Sam, I will I will have you back to talk about the, your thoughts on the Canadian Pro League, which is okay. trying to happen here. Diana Matheson in 2025. I'm uh, I'm really hoping that that uh, that comes to be. Okay. Uh, great. That would be a great thing for this country. All right. Listen, Sam Mewis, Roger Bennett, catch them on Twitch. But my God, they're I mean. Essentially, it's like watching Taylor Swift at this point with a half million, 600,000. Uh, That's Sammy uh, Muir. Pretty much. <laughs> Sam, a lot of pressure, Sam. I mean, this is serious business now. You're immediate. You're, this is, this is, you know, you're, you're beating sports centers at this point with that kind of, uh, those kind of numbers not to put pressure on you but that's that's that that is a truism <laughs> jeepers <laughs> yeah all right there, sorry raj i've thrown her off now for you gotta you gotta get her back centered uh, for the next, uh, richard it's great to see week. you mate thank you for everything yeah no thank you sam thank you roger thank you. and uh, everybody check those guys out um it's really a lot of fun it's a great second screen experience i highly recommend it thank you sam thank you roger Sammy. thanks richard bye if you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. All right, as I said at the top, I bring in my colleague from The Athletic, Rustin Dodd. He has a new book co-written with Mark Dent, Kingdom Quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, and how one swinging cow town chased the ultimate comeback. Pleased to be joined by Rustin Dodd. Rustin, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me, Richard. How are you doing? I'm doing well. All right. Um, a couple of things here. I'm gonna, I want to read something that you guys wrote because I think it'll give uh, people a sense that this is more than just sort of a Patrick Mahomes um, biography or memoir. You guys wrote, it is our belief that Kansas City is the perfect embodiment of the mid-sized Midwestern city and therefore the quintessential American town. It is for better or worse an everywhere USA, a heartland petri dish of every pioneering impulse and social disaster, a stand-in for every town and city that is not quite somewhere, the kind of place that creates the man who creates Ted Lasso. Kansas City's problems may not be unique, but if you want to understand what happened to the American city, you can start with the story of Kansas City. So my first question for you is, uh, Rustin, how does, so, okay, so how does Kansas City explain America? Well, a few reasons. I mean, I, I think one of those reasons is just, uh, as I we said there, it's it's location. It's right in the middle of the country. It is uh, it is a mid-sized Midwestern city of which the genre is, there are many, but I think there's something very specific about those places. Um, and then as we write in the book, um, you know, Kansas City had this very specific um, history where you can kind of trace it back that there of of all the places in the United States of all the cities, it was one of at the forefront of suburbia. Um, and we write about this in the book, but one of the main characters in the book, besides Patrick Mahomes, is a developer named J.C. Nichols. Now, that's a forgotten figure to most Americans, I think. But in the early 20th century, you know, J.C. Nichols was one of the most prominent real estate developers in the in the country, particularly in the way in which he developed subdivisions. Um, and he was also kind of at the forefront of using racially restrictive covenants. Um, so Kansas City was sort of uh, a model for uh, segregation um, in terms of how, how cities were built. Um, and this is a story that's, you know, it's a familiar story to, to most American cities. But the history in Kansas City has sort of been probably underappreciated, at least we believe. Um, so it was really kind of trying to tell that story to more of a national audience um, and explaining Kansas City's role in this bigger national story um, and really sort of, you know, how the city evolved from there, you know, for the next uh, 100 years or so. So, Rustin, like one of the I think it would be very challenging to um, try to write this, uh, try to write a book on dual tracks, you know, one, the getting a sense of how Kansas City was formed, uh, why it's sort of important to people beyond Kansas City, and then obviously tell the story of this iconic quarterback and this championship team and how the two intersect. I think that would be a challenge for one writer, but you guys have, uh, you, you, you have a co-writer on this book. So how did you go about like sort of the, 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 the journalistic and writing process of both reporting this out and then probably more importantly, figuring out how to write what would be like a singular narrative about two different things? I mean, it's a great question. So Mark and I, Mark Dent, my co-author and I, uh, we met at the journalism school at the University of Kansas. We're the same age, 
We're both from the same suburb of Kansas City, a place called Overland Park, um, kind of a model of suburbia. And so we've known each other since, you know, college. And we came up with this idea of sort of uh, right around 2020, 2021 was when it kind of came the idea to write this book. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, we sort of sketched it out, um, these two different narratives, and then we would split up the research and split up the chapters. Um, and then we created, I mean, the like the inside baseball thing is we created a ton of Google Docs. <laughs> and so we would, you know, we were constantly sending each other uh, chapters and editing each other. And, you know, there is a, a, a problem when you have two, you know, bylines on a book and you want to write it with a lot of like voice and style is like, you know, how do you get those two styles to mesh? Um, but, you know, Mark and I, we write in similar ways and we were kind of constantly, you know, sending each other stuff. So we were sort of editing each other the entire time, which, you know, honestly, I, I don't know that I, you know, thought about this until we were kind of midway through the process, but it kind of offered a, another layer of editing, which I think really kind of helped um, the book um, kind of come together um, by the time we had kind of sent it to the publisher. How do you convince people to buy this book who are not from Kansas City or who are not Kansas City Chiefs fans? Well, I mean, I hopefully that it's an entertaining read and an easy read, but I think the biggest thing is that it really, if you are from a Midwestern city or you want to understand, um, you know, how cities grew that the way they did, whether it was through, you know, segregation and racially restricted covenants. And then later on through redlining and the forming of the FHA, we sort of tell all of those stories through one city and in this story or in this situation, it's Kansas city, but it really could be Chicago or it could be St. Louis or it could be Milwaukee or Cleveland. I mean, these, these stories are not unique as you, we kind of alluded to before, but we think very specifically Kansas City offers kind of a window into the country as a whole. Um, you know, and, and you know, part of this kind of came together. You know, I mentioned J.C. Nichols, the developer we write about in the book, but, um, you know, this was a story that was big in Kansas City in 2020 not so much around the country, but they, they had a, you know, a famous fountain in Kansas city that was renamed. They took his name off of it. Um, and so these are sort of questions that are kind of in the kind of ether in Kansas city, but also around the country about how we think about history. You know, what stories do we tell? What stories do we not tell? And, and we never told until now. Um, and so I think that if you were like the kind of person who, is interested in the American city, um, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, we really think people will find the book uh, fascinating. All right. Let's talk about the Chiefs a little bit. Um, I've never been to Kansas City, either Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas City, Kansas. So you can be uh, my guide here. Um, what do the Chiefs, obviously, you know, Kansas City has more pro teams than just the Chiefs. They have the Royals that, you know, they once upon a time had a NBA team. It's obviously a great college uh, um, state. Um, but what do the Chiefs mean to Kansas City? It's, a, um, it's an intentionally broad question. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is, again, this could be true of Buffalo, New York. It could be true of uh, maybe Green Bay, Wisconsin, or a, a few of these places. But there is something specific about the ways in which um, a, a team like the Chiefs becomes part of the daily language in a place in Kansas City that is probably different than many, many places around the country. And now, it, unless you've maybe lived in one of those places, I, I think 
it, it doesn't matter if you are, you know, uh, a sports fan or not in Kansas City. The the you know the common shared language of Kansas City is uh, the Chiefs and. And whenever I talk about this, it, it just feels so cliche, <laughs> kind of silly, but it, but it, so, but it is true. You know, it's like uh, on on Monday in Kansas City, uh, there will be, you know, you can generally tell if, how happy people are based on whether the Chiefs won or not the day before. You know, we spent some time with the mayor of Kansas City, Quentin Lucas, and his um, predecessor, a, a guy named Sly James, who was the mayor before. But they do this thing on quarterly in Kansas City where they sent out, you know, it's like a survey on like uh, how the city is doing with its services. And they really just call it like a local happiness survey, essentially. Um, and they generally have started timing those up with uh, Chiefs victories in terms of trying to kind of uh, juke the stats, I guess. Um, and so it's it's hard to explain, I guess, just what it means uh, to a place like Kansas City. I, I think it's you know, the one time where, you know, uh, where people feel, and again, I feel like I'm getting into the cliche a little bit here, but it's it's sort of the one time where some cities feel like they are part of the national conversation in a way. Um, you know, most of the time, you know, a place like Kansas City, it's flyover country, it's middle America, it's, it's a big place, there's interesting things there, there's a lot of people who live there, but it's generally not part in any sort of national conversation about what's going on in America. And, um, and I, th I think that the, the football and the NFL, it's one of the biggest institution in America. And it's, it's a great equalizer in places like Kansas City. And, and that, that can be hard to measure sometimes what it how, how much it means to the people there. Yeah, it, it does. Um, and just how you're describing that, it seems very similar to Buffalo, which is a town um, that I've spent that, that I spent many years in. Um, from your perspective at at the moment as we talk in August of 2023 how do you view Patrick Mahomes historically and particularly in relation to Tom Brady you know i would say i think Patrick Mahomes that nobody has ever played the quarterback position at a higher level than he has through 5 seasons um you know he's been to the AFC title game every season he's been in the super bowl 3 times um you know he's on pace to to break every, you know, passing record, whether it's, um, you know, quarterback rating or touchdowns or, you know, all of these numerical things, you know, the, the one area in which he will lack, um, you know, going forward is just the career likely career championships and other kind of longevity stats that Tom Brady sort of put kind of into the stratosphere. Um, but I don't think anybody's had a better start to a career than, than Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not sure that anybody's played the, position at a higher level. You know, there's one thing that, you know, we don't get into this in the book too much, but, you know, Patrick Mahomes has never really had uh, a, an above average defense, right? He's never really had a top 10 defense in five seasons. They've been right on the cusp of the top 10. Um, but if you look at the other, you know, dynasty quarterbacks, most of those dynasties were built with, with top 10 defenses. And Patrick Mahomes he has two championships and he's never really had a top 10 defense. So he's sort of doing it in a different way um, than those other quarterbacks. And, you know, the, the Brady discussion, I think will, will linger and a lot of it will depend on if the Patrick Mahomes can, can win more titles and, and win them soon, you know, with seven, 
I don't think that he's going to be able to equal seven. Um, just the odds would seem to be stacked against him. Um, but if he can, you know, get to four or five, you know, I, I think that will be, you know, fast forward five, 10 years down the line, that will be the new LeBron Jordan question, right? Patrick Mahomes will be the LeBron. He'll be the guy with all the career records and, you know, he won't have the championships and Tom Brady will have the sort of narrative uh, and the championships. And so, I, I think that will be like the the eternal NFL debate in you know five to ten, fifteen years. You and your co-author have had a chance to see him up close. Uh, I mean, even if it's not a ton of one-on-ones, um, you sort of witness it through the Super Bowl championship. From your perspective, and obviously this is somebody who uh, has roots um, in Kansas City, but but no longer lives in Kansas City. Uh, how do you feel Patrick Mahomes is viewed nationally? And not necessarily just like as a quarterback, but away from the field, whether it's any kind of activism, whether it's any kind of uh, pitchman commercial endorsements. Love to just get a sense of how you think he's viewed, let's say, away from his hometown where we know is where we know he's beloved. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought that a natural comparison with him is Steph Curry in terms of the the likability, the marketing and also just the aesthetic quality in terms of. People love to watch him play. Um, you know, I think naturally there's always going to be, I guess, a little bit of backlash when you become sort of the guy and you're on television all the time. There's a risk of overexposure and all, all of those things. But I, I think that that generally speaking, I think that one of Patrick Mahomes' strongest qualities is his general likability. Um, and I think that he's retained that sort of same thing that Steph Curry has where um, there is just a general kind of joy in which they play. And that sort of seeps into their entire personality. Um, And that I think there's a, there's a likability and I use that word twice now, but that I think is, that is kind of palpable and is kind of key to, to his brand and his persona and, you know, and everything he's sort of built. You, uh, I read in the book that you guys did, a uh, hundred plus interviews for the book. Uh, give me one or two people who really surprised you as an interview, or maybe for re. You know, if you ended up, let's say, talking to uh, Travis Kelsey, you sort of know what you're going to get from Travis Kelsey, et cetera. But who might have been somebody where you came away from that interview and you're like, "Wow, that was that's not what I expected. That was pretty good." Well, we we spent a lot of time with uh, Pat Senior, Patrick's father, um, but we also spoke to Patrick's grandfather, uh, uh, Johnny Mahomes, who is is Pat's father. Um, And I've mentioned this in a few interviews, but there's something kind of fascinating when you when you interview kind of, you know, three different generations of a family or you go back, you know, multiple generations because you start to see sort of similar traits and similar qualities. And Johnny Mahomes, he's he's from Tyler, Texas, or at least a you know a small town near Tyler, Texas, which is the same area where Patrick grew up. And he was a valedictorian of his high school in the 1960s and, um, you know, stayed in Tyler and worked for an oil company and raised his son, Pat. Um, you know, it was a was a great student. He was like in the drama club and all, you know, the National Honor Society and and all these sort of things. Um, and you start to see little trends and, and Pat Senior was the same way when he was in high school, um, you know, he was a three sport athlete and uh, was was a terrific student. And so anyway, we, we, we kind of cover the the full 
history of the Mahomes family in East Texas, which goes back even more generations than Johnny. Um, you know, we talk about Johnny's father and then his father before him and how the family ended up there. And so um, that was kind of a fascinating thing to tell sort of this family story that has not really quite been kind of been written about in, in that much detail. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A couple more here. You, um, you work for The Athletic with me and you now live in Brooklyn. So you've gotten a sense of uh, what sports is like in New York City. I don't, I don't know how many New York City sporting events you've covered, but if nothing else, you know, you're watching on TV, you're reading newspapers, websites, you got at least a sense of, of what New York City sports is like, just sort of being there. How would you um, view the differences, and maybe also would be interesting the similarities, between New York sports and Kansas City sports? So this is a great question. I was actually... Um... I was thinking about this with Aaron Rodgers playing for the Jets um, because I, I don't know what the Green Bay media scene is like, but I can imagine it's not all that different than than Kansas City. It's a smaller town. It's a one newspaper place. Um, and so I, I was thinking about, you know, people have thought about, you know, Aaron Rodgers moving to New York and what the different media environment will be like. And I, I do think that, the you know, you cannot discount the uh, the importance or the influence of tabloid culture in New York City and and what that adds to a media market. Um, and other than that, though, I, I think it's just the pure numbers of reporters and outlets and, um, you know, people can say, well, there's more pressure in a place like New York. I'm not sure that that's true, but there certainly is more scrutiny. Um, there are more people thinking about you and writing about you. And, and that is true. I, I think the the, there are pressures everywhere and, you know, playing quarterback for the Chiefs or the Packers comes with its own set of pressures and things can oftentimes feel a little bit more like a fishbowl um, in a place like Kansas City where, you know, the relationships are a little bit more, you know, intimate, they're a little bit more up close. And I think sometimes that also lends itself to reporters being a little bit more generous, I guess you might say, or to the subjects in, in a place like Kansas City, which you you may not see that as much in New York, but um, you know I don't know that I've made a great uh, point here, but but I, I do think there are some distinct differences, but it may not be as extreme in terms of its differences as, as some might believe. I think there's um, I think the ways in which people are covered are, are pretty similar in a in in you know in all cities. Uh, that, that totally makes sense. All right, the last one for me. One of the things that when I lived in Buffalo was that absolutely parallels to Kansas City. When the Bills won, the mood was better. I actually think crime statistics showed that crime was down. Like it, like it really had a sociological impact on the city. Where it didn't have an impact was downtown because um, the Bills Stadium is in Orchard Park, which is not in downtown Buffalo. And um, downtown Buffalo didn't really get revitalized because obviously we're still talking whatever it was, 10 miles away. Um, what is the impact on the Chiefs being successful 
on the city uh, uh, on Kansas City, and has it had any kind of impact? Like the way when the uh, Cavaliers were good, a lot of people sort of considered LeBron James like a one-man economic, um, uh, you know what I mean? Economic like injection into the economy. I, again, like I haven't been in Kansas City, so is that connect? Like is Mahomes in this case like with LeBron, or is there no connection there? No, that's a great point. I, you know, I saw I was actually doing some reading and some research recently about an academic study done about LeBron and, and Cleveland and that he's it's one of the rare instances in which you can actually find economic impact <laughs> from the presence of an athlete. And I think that's a great question. I think it might be too early to, to tell exactly if Patrick Mahomes will bring a similar impact to Kansas City. Um, it certainly has brought, you know, uh, a, a change in the way people maybe think about the city or the self-identity of the city. And Kansas City is a place we write about this in the book, too. It, Like many Midwestern cities, it had its own downtown renaissance kind of in, you know, the early 2000s. And then the 2010s as more and more people kind of came back from the suburbs that were kind of created by, you know, this JC Nichols character that we we write about. And, and sort of there was a little bit reverse migration back to city especially in, in the Midwest in that kind of era. And so we we sort of wrote about that um, experience, which was, you know, uh, same thing that happened all around the country, but was particularly intense in Kansas City. So Kansas City's kind of downtown has had its own renaissance. They don't have any sports stadiums other than a, than a basketball arena that sits empty most of the time, except for some concerts and conference basketball tournaments in college basketball. But um, the downtown is the neighborhoods that were once more or less dead and did not really exist. It was more or less just a place where people went to work and then left late at night. Now, the, the downtown has kind of come back and is thriving again. And I think there is some hope that that there will be sort of a LeBron-esque uh, financial impact from, from Mahomes' presence. Yeah, interesting. That's going to be one to watch. Rustin Dodd is a senior writer at The Athletic. You can catch his fine work on that site. But he's here today to discuss his new book with Mark Dent, Kingdom Quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, and how a one-swinging cow town chased the ultimate comeback. When is this out, Rustin? What day officially? It's out August 22nd, so that's a Tuesday, and it's obviously available for pre-order now at all the different places that you can pre-order books. So you can order it now and probably be there by by August 22nd. All right, so buy that either online, but if you want to go old school, head to the old bookstore and, and, uh, and, and, and browse and buy it in person. Rustin, I wish you nothing but the best of luck uh, with this. Uh, as always, I appreciate all your work at The Athletic, and thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Richard, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Sam Mewis and uh, Roger Bennett. Uh, that was a lot of fun, and uh, and I wish Sam Mewis um, the best of uh, the best of health on her recovery, and um, I think she'd be good at this. I hope. I mean, she is already good at this. She should continue um, doing this stuff if she wants to get into media because she's really authentic and that's like the one thing you honestly cannot teach if you like these kind of podcasts head to um the uh where you get the sports media podcast itunes google play etc leave us a five-star review and a nice note that is how this podcast continues the previous couple of guests Stuart mandel on the television media rights in college football my colleague at the athletic had a roundtable with chad finn and austin carp of the 
uh, Boston Globe and Sports Business Journal. Becky Lynch, the WWE star, was on this podcast. ESPN's Andrea Carter, Michael Nathanson, the uh, well-known analyst, talking about how Disney will handle ESPN. The student journalist at the Daily Northwestern reported on Pat Fitzgerald and his ultimately uh, uh, being uh, being gone from Northwestern. And Neil Everett, the longtime Sports Center anchor, and uh, thinking about him, uh, particularly with his Hawaiian roots. Uh, anybody who's ever been to Maui knows how beautiful that place is. So. They get the, they get all the help that they need. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks for uh, thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.